hard for the people of Jericho to hate Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus would have been viewed by the citizens of Jericho as a traitor. He was working for the hated Romans. And as a, his job was one in which he worked for the Romans, he was to collect taxes. And basically the way it worked in collecting taxes in those days was if you were a tax collector, you knew the amount of money that you had to get for the Romans. And anything you collected beyond that was yours. And the Romans didn't stop you as long as they got their fair share. So you can imagine what a tax collector would do. Right? And you can understand, well, there was, there was not a whole lot of love lost between Zacchaeus and his fellow citizens of Jericho. It was not hard to hate Zacchaeus. You can also understand, perhaps, why Zacchaeus was so excited to see Jesus then, too. Because despite his, his, well, his job, despite the way he had garnered his cash and all the things that that money brought him in Jericho, you could tell his conscience was still active. He wanted to hear what this traveling preacher that had passed through the area a few times already in his ministry had to say. And he wasn't going to be stopped by well, the hatred of his fellow citizens. Right? And, and as he goes to hear Jesus, he can't get through the crowd, and you can understand why, right? Because, really, who's going to let Zacchaeus through? So he does the only thing he can, right? He climbs a sycamore tree in order to see his Savior. I was trying to think, what would be a similar person today? Someone who would is just reviled because of who they are or perhaps what they've done. My guess is we could probably look inside the prisons and, and find people that have done things that cause us to, well, just shudder with disgust. Right? We could probably think of people that perhaps we have done business with that weren't fair, were unethical, unmoral. Perhaps they, they cheated us and, and there was a feeling of hatred because of what they had done. I think it begins to at least give you the feeling of what it was like to be the people of Jericho as they witnessed and as they saw Zacchaeus and perhaps a little bit of what it was like to be Zacchaeus. Because of his job choice, he was not only an outcast in just everyday society, he was, had been kicked out of the synagogue. He was looked at basically as a sinner. And sinner was a term that was used in, in, in Jesus' day to, to describe someone who nobody liked. Right? Who, because of their actions, was one who filled you with disgust and, and vile. Right? Someone who, who you looked at and, well, the, if you could, you would have felt sympathy and perhaps compassion for them. But because of what they'd done, that didn't even exist. Sinner was the, the term that, that religious teachers used to refer to, to tax collectors, prostitutes. Right? People who by their actions had completely separated themselves from God 
and God's people. And even though Zacchaeus may have been a Jew by birth, to the rest of the Jews, he wasn't a Jew. He wasn't one of God's chosen people. So you can begin to imagine both, well, the, the hatred on the side of the people, and I'm sure there was a little bit of hatred on the side of Zacchaeus as well. Zacchaeus was certainly not the person that the, the, Jer- the people of Jericho would have looked at. God loves him. In fact, because of what Zacchaeus did, they would have said the exact opposite. He is, he's unlovable. And because he is unlovable by God, I don't have to love him. And while as hard as it would have been for people of Jericho to look at Zacchaeus with any sort of good thought in their mind, I imagine it was kind of nice to have Zacchaeus and other sinners around. Maybe on the periphery, right? Because think of what that enabled the people of Jericho to do about their own sinfulness. Right? They could look at their own sinfulness and go, well, at least I'm not as bad as Zacchaeus. Right? Or as they they began to understand and see their own sinfulness, they could look at Zacchaeus and go, yeah, I'm sinful, but my sins don't compare to what Zacchaeus has done. Right? My sins haven't caused me to get kicked out of the synagogue. And by doing that, by having those thoughts in their minds, they began to minimize their own sinfulness, right? While seeing all the failures and flaws of Zacchaeus and maximizing his sin so that they felt they could be justified by treating Zacchaeus the way that they did. So to have Jesus, one of the religious teachers of the day, a traveling teacher, a traveling rabbi, come to their city was not only something that the people of Jericho were excited about, but it must have completely shocked them when all of a sudden he stops at a fig tree and they all kind of glance up and they see Zacchaeus of all people there. And Jesus say to him, Zacchaeus, come on down. I'm going to have lunch with you at your house. You see it in how the people began to respond, don't you? Remember what they said? All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Do you remember when you were learning how to drive? You'd sit in the car, or perhaps you were at a desk, right? And the the driver instructor would tell you about your spot, like right here and right here. Remember what those were called? Your blind spot, right? You couldn't see what was sitting right there in your rear view mirror. You couldn't see it in your peripheral vision. And depending on how you had your mirror set up on the side of the car, it was kind of a spot you just couldn't see. So your driver instructor told you to do what before changing lanes, before turning? You're supposed to check your blind spot, right? And so it meant simply going... Right? Making sure that before you did anything in your car, that there wasn't somebody you were going to hit who was sitting where you couldn't see them. The people of Jericho 
had a blind spot, didn't they? They were able to see clearly Zacchaeus' sin. They could see it. It was as plain as day. And not only could they see it clearly, they were able to recognize just how bad it was. And yet they didn't see themselves in the same predicament Zacchaeus did, was. Right? They, they saw Zacchaeus as outside of God's love. They saw Zacchaeus and his sin as a result of that sin as being something that was, was completely, well, it had completely separated Zacchaeus and God. And yet they didn't see their own sin that way. And so they were surprised when suddenly a religious teacher would want to go and have lunch with a sinner. Wouldn't he much rather have lunch with the rest of who aren't as bad as Zacchaeus of all people? It also got me wondering, do you and I have a similar blind spot? Where we can easily see the failures and flaws of others. Right? We can not only see them clearly, we can very easily point them out to them. Right? Remind them about how they've sinned and how they've hurt us. It's easy for us to begin to see the sin of others, but in doing that, it does make us feel a little better, doesn't it? Because, well, I haven't done what they've done. Right? You could perhaps look at the people in prison and go, well, I'm a little better than they are because, well, I haven't ended up where they are. Right? You could look at what people have done and how they've treated, say, their spouse or their neighbor or their kids, and you go, well, I haven't done what they've done. And in doing so, began to minimize just how serious and harmful our own sin is? God's people who lived in Jericho perhaps had a blind spot because they had begun to forget the words of the psalmist. He writes in Psalm 14, They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, any who seek. Have together become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. While you and I might like to try and draw distinctions about the severity of our sin, right, or, or how bad a, a sin is in our life compared to, to somebody else, God doesn't see those distinctions, does He? In fact, the words of the psalmist remind you and I that there is not a single one of us who has done good in God's eyes. Because every last thing that you and I have done is tainted by sin. Or you can think of the words of Paul, right? In Romans, all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Right before you and I jump in with the rest of Jericho, and begin to look at others, like Zacchaeus, and their flaws, perhaps it's wise for us to stop for a moment 
and consider just where you and I stand on our own before God. And what you and I quickly realize is that we're in the same predicament Zacchaeus was. Someone who has sinned against God, rebelled against him, who, who, know, what, who know what God wants in our lives and how he wants us to, to act. People who, who know that God wants us to put him first in our life and the rest of our life is to revolve him. Children of God who know we should love our neighbor the same way we love ourselves. And perhaps what comes clear, or what comes through most clearly is the giant blind spot we have to our own sinfulness. Perhaps what comes through most clearly is how great a love I have for me and how little love I have for my God and those around me. That because of that, you and I are in the same predicament of, as, as Zacchaeus because, because of that sin, we should rightly be unloved by God because there isn't anything I do that, should be, that is lovable. There isn't anything that, that you and I can do before God Almighty that would suddenly cause God to look at me and say, you know what, because of that, I love you. Let me give you a little pat on the back. And that's right where God's grace comes in, doesn't it? We heard it in our second lesson from, from Paul, right? He said, in essence, when you were at your worst, while you were still a sinner, rebelling against God, that is when God loved you the most. Because that's when God sent his son to come here to earth to save you from your sin. I can imagine the people of Jericho may have been a little surprised when Jesus looked at Zacchaeus and said, Today salvation has come to this man. In essence, Jesus was saying to him, God loves Zacchaeus so much that God was willing to, to leave heaven in order to make sure Zacchaeus would get to heaven. Their jaws would have hit the floor. This is Zacchaeus, who everybody hated and had somewhat of a good reason to. And yet God was saying, he's not unlovable. In fact, he's the reason I came. And he does the same thing for you and me. He looks at each one of us and says, I love you so much. I was willing to leave heaven and take on human flesh, and live a perfect life, and stand between you and God's anger over all of your sins, so that you would spend an eternity with God. That's not just love, that is love that is completely undeserved. That's grace, isn't it? That's what, what God's grace is, an, an undeserved love for sinners like, like you and me, that God would, well, would do everything in order to make sure that our sin is forgiven and that you and I have a home in heaven. 
And so God, in his undeserved love for sinners like you and me and Zacchaeus, did just that. He, he came to earth. He kept God's law perfectly. He assured you and I that he had done everything that was needed in order to pay for our sins, to give us eternal life. And you begin to see the effect that that good news had on Zacchaeus, don't you? Zacchaeus hears that good news that God loves him, that God is, died for him, that, God's, that God has forgiven his sins, that eternal life is Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus is overwhelmed with joy and says, I, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody, which I imagine at that point had to have been most of Jericho, right? He says, I'm going to repay him four times back. Zacchaeus, in essence, out of seeing God's love for him, was giving all of his wealth away. Because he knew that what he had in his Savior was worth way more than what he had had accumulated for himself in the rest of his life. God's love for you and me has the same effect. It doesn't mean we have to give half of our possessions away, but but when we see our sin and we see this, this unbelievable love that God would have for someone like you and someone like me, that he would forgive my sins and my, my daily failures and every last one of my sins to fill me with a joy that says, Lord, how can I show my thankfulness? How can I show my appreciation and my love for you that you would love me so much as to do that? And God summarizes it real simply for us, doesn't he? He says, love me. Show your love for me by putting me first in your life. Show your love for for everyone else I put you into contact with each and every day by, by showing love for them. Tell them. Tell them about my great love for you that caused me to send my son to die not only for your sins, but for the sins of every last last one of the people you come into contact with each and every day. Because that's what God's grace is all about, isn't it? God's grace is all about showing you undeserved love and then he puts into your hands that unbelievable privilege of being able to tell others who need to hear all about God's undeserved love for them. And when you do that, when you see and understand and appreciate that unbelievable love God has for you, in essence what you've done is caught a glimpse into the heart of God. Because that's what grace is. God's undeserved love for you is the very heart of God. Amen. Our Savior Lutheran Church is located on the south side of Birmingham off Highway 280. We are on Dunnett Valley Road, about three quarters of a mile east of Treetop Family Adventure and Sports Blast. Our Sunday services begin at 10.15 with Sunday School and Bible class at 9 o'clock. We welcome visitors and hope to see you soon. For more information, please visit our website at OurSaviorBirmingham.com. Click on Sermons at the top of the page for a copy of today's service folder. You can also find us online on 
on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.